This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Let's turn our attention to headlines around the region. Yep, in Malaysia, Barisan National scored yet another major electoral win in Saturday's Johor State polls. And in the Philippines, just this week, it summoned its Chinese ambassador over a Navy ship's illegal intrusion. In Vietnam, confused international tourists find out why. On the line with us this morning is Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Pati. I'm doing well. I bet it was very busy for you over the weekend. Uh, Malaysia's longest ruling coalition, Barisan Nasional, winning the Johor State election. 40 seats in the 56-seat assembly after just over half of Johor's eligible voters cast their ballots. Let's talk about their win. Let's talk about BN's win. I mean, uh, what were some of the main reasons for the opposition Pakatan Harapan's poor Johor showing? A closer look at the numbers, voter turnout as I think was very low. And despite this, BN won a two-thirds majority without even securing half of the votes that were casted. And that's interesting. Reason for the losses for, for the opposition, you know, one, like I pointed out, low voter turnout. Mm. There's also fatigue with politics. You know, people mm. are just uh, a bit real, you know, because of Malaysia's, the political funk that Malaysia's been in since, you know, 2018, the general elections when BN lost. You know, and we've seen twists and turns since then. So, you know, there is a lot of political fatigue and multi-cornered fights also among the opposition that appears to be very, very disunited at this point did not help matters. So, you know, it proved to be their undoing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think separately, you know, this was a, this follows another state election in that we saw in Malacca, which BN won big. So I think the reasons there too were similar. You know, disunited opposition, low voter turnout. What's going to happen, I think, now is that we're going to see in the coming days, UMNO demanding for, uh, the, which is the ruling party in uh, Barisan National, I think demanding for fresh elections to be held soon, you know, uh, nationwide. Mm, that's the thing. That's going to be, that's going to be a twist. Yeah, so the Prime Minister is facing all of this pressure from his own party, but he's saying he will not be rushed into calling an early general election in spite of all this pressure. How would you read this? I mean, really, can they afford to wait longer if they want to win the election this year? Well, you know, the, the sentiment in Amno is that they need to strike when the iron is hot and they want, they want it uh, sooner. Uh, whether Ismail Sabri, uh, Prime Minister Ismail Sabri, can resist these these pressures from Amno, I seriously doubt it. You know, today, Bharti, Amno will hold its general assembly, which will go right through through a weekend, and I think the the mood is going to be very, very celebratory, and there's going to be a lot of thumping of chests, at chest, and people are going to say, look, you know, we we should go for elections now. And there is widespread talk that uh, there will be a resolution at the assembly for Ismail Sabri to force Ismail Sabri to call for elections or dissolve parliament within the next uh, 100 days. So I think we're going to see the pressure bill and given Ismail's weak position, you know, he's not even president of the party. He will have to, I think, toe the line, you know, to, so to speak, 
And when the party and its delegates demand that they want elections, but they, they believe that this is the right time to go with the opposition disunited. And that's, that's going to be the case. So the next few days is going to be interesting, especially for the Prime Minister. Leslie, uh, let's talk about how the Philippines this week said it summoned the Chinese ambassador to protest a Chinese Navy ship's illegal intrusion into waters between January 29th to February 1st. Two things are coming to mind. First, could you tell us a little bit about these waters that are being disputed or the waters in question um, where the intrusion is concerned? And why did it take six weeks or something like that to summon uh, the Chinese ambassador? Well, you know, these, these are the disputed territories, uh, offshore territories in Philippines, which where, you know, we have, you have fishing trawlers from China, sometimes boats to, you know, Navy boats to uh, patrol boats sea. And the Philippines has always been uneasy with this. You know, there have been typically spats, uh, bilateral spats about this. But coming back to uh, why bring up an incident that happened six weeks ago now, mm-hmm. uh, I think... I think it's um, the Philippines always has made it very clear that wants warm uh, relations with China. Okay. So you know, so they've decided that. I mean, I think this has a lot to do with with the ongoing press, the elections in in the Philippines. I think they want to show the Philippine people that you know, President uh, Duterte's uh, policy of being warm with China is not really the case. You know, the Philippines is standing up to its sovereign rights and all those kind of stuff. So I think a lot of it has got to do with the domestic political situation now and hence the, you know, this kind of delayed reaction actually from the government to summon the Chinese ambassador. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Other developments in the Philippines are of note as well. According to a Bloomberg poll recently, Philippine investors apparently are uninterested in the prospect of uh, Ferdinand Marcos presidency, with actually the VP, Lenny Robredo, emerging as their top pick to oversee an economic rebound. Tell us more about Robredo. What really about Robredo is giving these investors confidence in his ability to revive the economy? And how might this shape? the next administration's priorities? Well, you know, Roberto, she is well-liked. Whether she has the kind of a sweeping appeal in Philippines is another matter. I mean, she's promised to, you know, to stamp out corruption. Uh, she's made all the right noises. And I think among investors, foreign investors, analysts, she's seen as someone more capable in, you know, in kind of uh, steering the economy out of these troubled waters, actually following the health, prolonged health crisis. But I think, Bharti, we need to remind ourselves that, you know, this poll um, by Bloomberg was a survey of 28 investors and analysts, you know, and so mm-hmm. it is by no means representative of the, you know, sentiments in the Philippines, which can be, you know, when it comes to politics like this, depending on the, on the players, you know, the, these sentiments can be very fickle, actually. So I think the investors are basically uh, stating that, look, this, these things are needed. A, a clear hand, someone with the right policies, if Philippines is to, is to, the economy is to rebound. And so she clearly has the vote of investors. Whether she'll have the vote of the ordinary Filipino folk who will be casting their votes, that's another question altogether. But clearly she's by far among investors, the more suitable candidate to take over the presidency. 
And Leslie, I bet you have friends who have encountered confusion when it comes to travel. The folks uh, heading towards Vietnam um, who open international travelers starting from yesterday were confused. There's a lack of clarity over the rules because, obviously, of COVID-19. What are some of the standout confusions here, and, and how did this happen? How, how was this allowed to happen? Well, you know, the thing is that they were supposed to announce basically the details on how what travelers needed to do, and till today we haven't had any clarity on any of this. So that's, that's one point. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's happening is that I think, you know, here you've got basically different agencies, different ministries, you know, viewing how to deal with this health crisis and, you know, the resurgence of the pandemic through different variants, sure. differently, you know, they, they tourism ministry is probably, you know, under pressure to open up and because, uh, you know, uh, the, the economy needs it. But then the health ministry looks looks at things differently, you know, and they're typically the ones who come up with this, this um, to fine tune, you know, whatever regulations that need to be need to be implemented. So, you know, deferring curves, these are things that I don't think it's only peculiar to Vietnam. We've seen that across the region mm-hmm. where, you know, how rolling things out like this is confusing, often not so clear-cut. So this, these are things I think we need to live with, but we can see a clear trend that countries in the region and elsewhere really feel that it is time to open up. And so I think once you, know, you get, I think people will be looking for destinations that are doing things right. Mm-hmm. And I think that will become the template that others will follow. Yeah, they probably just need some time to iron things out, iron out those kinks. Thank you so much, Leslie. We've been speaking with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. You stay safe and take care, Leslie. Thank you very much. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.